Have you ever been up in the middle of the night because of despair or anxiety or sadness or stress and you thought, I wonder what God wants to say to me. I'll just flip through the pages of the Bible and see where it lands and that will be what God wants me to hear. And in a moment of desperation, you flip through the Bible and your Bible opens to Habakkuk chapter two. And you say, oh, he's landed me in the minor prophets. And you read, woe to him who heaps up what is not his own. For how long? I'm guessing you either would rapidly um, try again to see what God wants to say to you or quietly close the Bible and put it on the shelf. Surely that's not for me. These verses um, don't make it to the bumper stickers. These are the verses that don't uh, make it to the youth group t-shirt. Um, Tim Tebow didn't paint Habakkuk 2.16 across his face before playing a football game. We can easily pass over verses like these thinking that they must not be for us. But this is for us. It's for all of us because this is God's word and it's a blessing to hear God speak even when his words are words of judgment because it reveals God's heart to us. And his heart is good and holy and just. And that's the kind of God we need all the time. Even a night of despair or a season of disease. And it's because his judgment is both a challenge for us and a comfort. Those are the two points we're going to look at today. Let me pray for us. Lord, we need you to speak and we're glad that you are a speaking God. That you reveal yourself to us and you reveal some of your plans to us. And so, Lord, would you give us ears to hear you today? Would you give us faith to believe in you? Would you put hope into our hearts? Would you cause us to love your word and to love you? Uh, we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So God's judgment is a challenge. We've been looking at the book of Habakkuk uh, the past Several weeks that Habakkuk was written by, does anybody know? Habakkuk. He is, uh, he was an ancient Hebrew prophet living in the seventh century BC in Judah after a brief period of revival by King Josiah, um, that was short lived. And Habakkuk's name, uh, means embrace. Now that can be the embrace of a hug. Do you remember those? Um, I miss hugs. Hugs were great. Some of you don't miss hugs. That's okay. Um, Habakkuk could mean hug and embrace like a hug, or it could mean the embrace of a wrestler, of two people engaged, embraced in a struggle. And he, uh, Habakkuk comes from a long line of wrestlers, of people who wrestle with God. And if you're wrestling with God today, then you've got a friend in Habakkuk. And this is why Habakkuk is wrestling with God. It's over judgment. He doesn't like God's judgment. And I wonder if that's what we often wrestle with God about. I think we have a hard time with God's judgment as well. I wonder if that um, is one of the primary things that you might be wrestling with God about today. Um, I hear it all the time. I hear people say something like this. I can't believe in a good God who would be a God of judgment. Um, or maybe in a more common way, I hear it put this way, um, why do bad things happen to good people? If God is good, then why so much suffering in the world? 
Why are wildfires raging in our state? Why are hurricanes hitting the Gulf Shore? Why are there sharks at Ledbetter Beach? There are sharks at Ledbetter Beach. Nothing is safe in 2020. Um, at least last week, there were sharks there. Um, or maybe we think, why did my dad have to lose his job? Why is my wife leaving me? Why was my senior year interrupted by COVID? This is how I struggle with God. I struggle with the idea of his judgment and also struggle with his judgments because these are all judgment calls. These are all questions on God's ability to be God. Is he both good and powerful? And in a way, I think our struggle is similar to Habakkuk's and in a way uh, they're different. See, we tend to ask why do bad things happen to good people? But the far more common question in the Bible and the question that Habakkuk begins with is the opposite. He says, why do good things happen to bad people? If God is good, then why do the strong oppress the weak and get away with it? And do you, do you remember his initial complaint in chapter one? He asked God, God, are you silent? Are you idle? If you are just, if you are a just God, why are you just idling in the driveway? Let's put the car into gear and let's go. See, our problem with judgment is that we think there's too much of it. But the Bible's problem with judgment is that there's not enough. And you hear this refrain over and over again that we've already visited in this series. How long will you wait? How long, God, will you wait to judge the nations? If you are good and holy and just, then why do the wicked prosper? Why do the greedy get rich off the backs of the poor while the innocent suffer? Read Psalm 73, and you'll even find this in the songs of Israel singing these questions about God's judgment. And in chapter one, Habakkuk asked God to judge the wicked of Judah, the wicked princes, and bring revival to Judah. And God said, I'm going to judge Judah, but I'm gonna do it with an evil, even more evil and wicked nation, the Babylonians. See, this is like um, asking God to punish the, the schoolyard bully. And he says, I'm gonna bring in the mafia. I'm going to bring in some really wicked, intimidating people to judge the nation of Judah. And Habakkuk says, that doesn't make any sense. Um, I'm asking for justice, but your answer actually makes it worse. Because you're going to let our land be plundered by the most wicked people. Where's the justice in that? They're going to eat our harvest and drink our wine and enslave our children that's an even worse injustice than the first. Doesn't make any sense. And God responds with these five woes, judgments against the Babylonians. If you read the full chapter, you'll see all five of them there. And you can look at them like this. They are woes against the Babylonians for their greed, for plundering the nations for their false security and their wooden beams and their fortresses and their weaponry, for their violence and spilling the blood of the nations, for their dehumanizing and shaming their victims. If you read Psalm 137, you see the Babylonians carting off the exiles and saying, sing us a song of Zion, mocking them along the way. And then lastly, there's a woe for their idolatry 
as God says to the Babylonians, your, your crimes are not just against humanity, but against me, against your God. But if we look at verse five, we can zoom in here and we can see uh, not just the content of the woes, but we see who is actually getting to pronounce the woes. Look at verse five. He, Babylon, gathers for himself all nations and collects as his own all peoples. Shall not all these, that is the nations that have been plundered by the Babylonians, take up their taunt against him? with scoffing and riddles for him and say, woe to him who heaps up what is not his own for how long and loads himself with pledges. Will not your debtors suddenly arise and those awake who will make you tremble? Then you will be spoiled for them because you have plundered many nations. All the remnant of the peoples shall plunder you for the blood of man and violence to the earth, to cities and all who dwell in them. See, God is putting the woes against the Babylonians in the mouths of the very ones they've plundered, the victims of their oppression and violence. He's turning the Babylonians' world upside down. To quote my friend Travis Scott, who just wrote a book on Habakkuk, this is the ultimate victim impact statement. God lets the victims issue the judgment on the Babylonians. He says, I will judge them and I will even let the victims, the ones they've plundered, be a part in pronouncing this upon them. And the content of the woes goes against the very things that they used to conquer their weapons, their technology, their idolatry. They're trying to find safety and security apart from their maker and the very things they do to find safety and to rule their lives and the ancient world at the time are the things that God will use to bring them down. And history tells us that this is exactly what happened, that it happened exactly as God said it would. So God is revealing to Habakkuk what is going to come to pass in regards to the Babylonians. They will be judged. Their nation will fall. And it did. It fell to the Persians. But wait, didn't the Persians build their nation, their empire in blood and violence? What about them? Is God going to judge them? Well, they fell to the Greeks. But wait a minute, didn't the Greeks build their empire in blood and violence? Do you remember Alexander the Great? Didn't they plunder the nations even, even more so? Yeah, but eventually they fell to the Romans. But wait, the Romans, surely they built their empire in blood and violence. These are the people who came up with crucifixion and they killed Jesus. And, and what happened to Rome? Rome fell as well. And that's the point. Empires, human empires are always built on blood and violence and they will always fall. None will, will raise themselves up against God and stand. They will all fall. And these woes against Babylon in Habakkuk assure us that God will punish not just every evil nation, but every evil deed in this world or in the world to come. See, that's his promise. That's the revelation to Habakkuk. He's saying, God, God says to Habakkuk, I am just and I will bring down the nations. I am not blind. I will judge the earth. I am not silent. I will speak. And when I speak, the nations will be silent. Every evil deed will be judged. Every nation, not just Judah, not just Babylon, every nation will be judged and every person will be judged. Everyone will stand before my throne 
and be judged by their actions. Here's where we all collectively gulp. Um, wait, I wanted the bad guys judged, but I didn't want to stand before his judgment. Are you telling me that I will be judged too? See, here's the real challenge of God's judgment. We want God to judge our enemies, but surely if God is just, then we will not stand before him either. And that's a challenge for us. Every lie spoken to get ahead, every insult uttered in a fit of rage, every lustful look at a man or woman, every indulgence taken too far, every choice of convenience over integrity, every good deed undone out of selfishness and comfort, they will be judged. They will stand before God's throne and be judged. And God answers Habakkuk, if you want a God to judge, I am that God. I will get the last word. There will come a day when I judge the nations and the nations will be silent before me. Look at verse 20. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. That's how he ends this revelation to Habakkuk. It's a challenge, isn't it? And yet it was a comfort to Habakkuk. It might have even been a greater challenge to Habakkuk at the time and, and his people because they were going to actually see the temple destroyed and looted and the gold melted down by the Babylonians. The temple, the place where God resided. And God says, even if that happens, even when that happens, I am in my temple. I am in the, in the heavenly temple. I am on my throne and all the nations of the earth will be silent. So it was a challenge to Habakkuk. It was a challenge to his people. It's a challenge to us. Um, and yet, and yet he found comfort in it. If you flip a page over and you read chapter three, you see that in the next verse after this, Habakkuk goes to prayer, where he expresses his fear of God, and he ends in praise um, in God's goodness. So how can there be comfort in God's judgment? Well, to see that God's judgment is a comfort, we have to understand something about ourselves. Um, and we don't like to hear this as modern people living on the West Coast. Um, we may pretend to hate the idea of a judging God, but deep down we all desire it. We all desire a God or someone to judge. Look at the box office hits from any of the past five years. I promise you which movies are gonna be in there every year. Marvel superhero movies. The Avengers. Um, we eat it up with a spoon. And, and I'll tell you, this is the, the spoiler alert here, but um, the bad guys in the Avenger movies, they don't get tea parties at the end. They are defeated. And we line up and we dress like Spider-Man while we're doing it to watch these movies because we want evil to be judged. We, we desire deep down that someone will hold the evil and the wicked accountable. Um, a Croatian theologian named Miroslav Volf put it this way. He, see, he came from a nation that had seen genocide, that had seen evil and violence. And he said, the idea of a God who doesn't judge may be appealing 
um, on the surface to some people. Um, but he says that it takes the quiet of a suburban home for the birth of the thesis that human nonviolence corresponds to God's refusal to judge. In a scorched land soaked in the blood of the innocent, it will invariably die. And as one watches it die, one will do well to reflect about many other pleasant captivities of the liberal mind. What is he saying? He's saying if you have seen violence, if you have seen wickedness, if you have seen abuse and evil, then you know that you need someone to hold the evil accountable. See, when we pretend that evil doesn't exist, we can fear a God of judgment or we can be uncomfortable with a God of judgment. But when we are attuned to the victims of the world or when we experience violence ourselves, we desperately need a God of judgment. And a God of judgment is a comfort. Remember the victims who got to pronounce the judgment? They were real victims that required justice, that required the Babylonians to be held account. And that's what God does. We need a just God when Christian farmers are gunned down at a wedding in Nigeria like they were last week. We need a God who judges evil when six million Jews are murdered in the Holocaust. We need a God who judges evil when we have been abused, when we have experienced trauma and violence at the hand of an oppressor. I had a friend when I was living in St. Louis who um, lived in Mexico and she was a dance student in Mexico and her aunt said, why don't you come to America? I'll find a job for you. And when she arrived in America, two men showed up and, and they enslaved her. And when you hear those stories, you know that a God of judgment is comfort to the victims. When we stop pretending that evil doesn't exist, we need someone to hold the evil accountable. God's judgment is comfort to the victims. And we say, Lord, how long will you wait? How long until you judge the wicked? Now, these woes are the climax of Habakkuk's book. And at the height of these woes, God gives Habakkuk and us a glimpse of what is beyond judgment. Look at verse 14. He says, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. See, when Christ returns, he will judge the nations and he will bring his kingdom. So God's judgment actually brings about his will. And on that day when Christ returns to judge the nations, to hold the Babylonians accountable, to hold all the nations accountable, he will restore the earth. He will renew it. He will restore it to his original plan. See, these verses point us back to Genesis and the purpose of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden to fill the earth with image bearers so that the knowledge of the glory of the Lord would cover the earth. God says, I will do that. I will judge the nations and I will bring about my kingdom. And when God ultimately enacts judgment, he will eliminate not just injustice, but all suffering, even the small things. He will judge and cast away everything that has cursed humanity. He will cast away COVID-19 and all the losses associated with it on that day. God's judgment is comfort and consolation to the nations. But what about the challenge from before? If God judges the nations, how will I stand? If every evil deed is punished by God, then what about me? How will I stand before God's judgment? Surely I will be silent too. Well, there's only one way to stand before the judgment of God. 
There's only one way to pass through the judgment of God unscathed, and that's if the judgment has already been doled out on your behalf. If someone else took the woes for you. Because remember, every evil deed will go punished. The gospel, the good news of the Bible, is that in Christ, we don't get what we deserve. Christ gets what we deserve, and we get all that belongs to him. He is plundered on our behalf. He is stripped naked and humiliated. He is silent as a sheep going to slaughter on the cross so that he can save a people through judgment. God's judgment call to look upon the cross of Christ as the only atonement for sin is comfort to all who put their faith in him. And this makes us like Habakkuk, a people who are not arrogant like the Babylonians, but humble, relying upon not our own goodness, but on Jesus. And here's the amazing thing that, that compels us to praise and worship. The kingdom of God is not built on the blood of its captives, but on the blood of its king. May we find challenge and comfort in his perfect judgment. Amen.